This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. BC homeowners, every one of them, will soon be required to apply for exemptions from the speculation tax, even if it's the house you live in. A letter from the province with instructions on how to do just that will be in your mailbox soon. And as Richard Zussman explains, if you don't opt out, something else will arrive in your mailbox. Speculator or not, around 1.6 million British Columbians are about to fill out this online form. They get their notice, they'll fill out the form, they'll say this is my primary residence, and then they don't pay the speculation tax. But there's already been criticism about the province going with negative billing. That means if you don't fill out the form, you'll have to pay the tax. For British Columbians and other Canadians, the tax rate is 0.5% of assessed value on unrented non-primary residences. For foreign owners or satellite families, it's a 2% tax. My understanding is that if they fail to complete a declaration, that they will be taxed at the highest rate. The new tax rate applies to Metro Vancouver, the Capital Regional District, Kelowna, West Kelowna, Lanceville and Nanaimo. The goal is to increase rental stock and to get rid of speculation in the housing market. But Green Party leader Andrew Weaver says applying the tax this way isn't effective. Walking into a quagmire of bureaucracy now is nothing that I didn't expect and in fact I warned them about doing this. This is theirs to wear, this is theirs to defend. West Kelowna's one of the communities that fought hardest against the tax and its former mayor isn't impressed. It's uh, just another example that they have not thought this through. Nanaimo also fought against the tax. With an ongoing by-election there, Liberal candidate Tony Harris took to Twitter to rail against the government. But James says this spec tax rollout isn't a by-election issue. You're seeing some games being played. Uh, This is a very straightforward process. Okay, so it's not every single homeowner, but it's the vast majority of them, Richard who joins us now uh, live. Another aspect of this declaration that uh, has got a lot of people scratching their heads is the way it affects couples who own properties. Yeah, that's one of those things, Chris. So this is what it will look like when it arrives in your mailbox across British Columbia. You'll end up getting this form. It will provide you the details to head online. And as you mentioned, one of the things you need to know is if you're a couple and both of you are on land title, both of you have to go on and fill out the form. I watched it filled out today. It takes about five to ten minutes. But if you forget to do it and you get billed, that bill could be for a million dollar home, $5,000. So we'll see, Chris, how many people end up forgetting to do this and then end up with that big bill. All right, thanks very much, Richard. We'll see how it all works itself out. Well, (laughs) the Independent Investigations Office today is asking Crown to consider charges against police officers involved in the death of Miles Gray. Gray died back in 2015 after an altercation with Vancouver officers that started as a call about a man spraying a woman with a garden hose. Nadia Stewart has the troubling details in the IIO report. 
The Independent Investigations Office has sent its final report to the province's prosecution service. It's now up to them to decide whether or not to move forward with charges in connection with the death of Miles Gray. The case has been under investigation for the last three and a half years, and it's still not clear exactly how Gray died. The 33-year-old man worked as a distributor of floral evergreens. He was in Vancouver August 2015 making deliveries when police received reports of a man harassing a woman by spraying a garden hose at her home near Joffrey Avenue and Southeast Marine Drive. According to BC Supreme Court documents, the first officer on scene reported an aggressive confrontation with Gray and called for backup. More officers arrived, pepper spray was used, and there was an altercation. Gray did not survive. The IIO says their investigation has been thorough. The investigation itself, it was complex, involved the, um, a great deal of evidence from many different people and, and many different aspects of forensic evidence. There was a situation where there was a difference of opinion with respect to uh, the cooperation of a witness officer in a second statement um, that actually led to a court application, although that was then resolved uh, and a statement was taken from that officer. And in addition, we took a step uh, about a year ago to start a process of seeking a review um, in an effort to determine cause of death from the coroner's office and that took uh, some time. Gray's family has been vocal since his death pushing for answers and closure before proceeding with charges. The prosecution service has to be confident that the evidence presented will lead to a conviction and that the prosecution is in the public's best interest. Nadia Stork, Global News. Kamloops RCMP need your help locating a Canadian actress and her nephew. Take a look. This is Nikeo Superno. And his aunt, 28-year-old Roseanne Superno, best known for her role as Natalie Stoney in the television series Blackstone. RCMP say on Sunday they received a report to check on the well-being of the child, but both Nikeo and his aunt were gone, and they haven't been in contact with Nikeo's mother. There have been social media posts claiming the pair is safe. However, RCMP tell Global News they have yet to check in and they are still considered missing. Anyone with information is asked to call Kamloops RCMP or Crime Stoppers. A grandfather and two children are recovering after a carbon monoxide leak. It happened at a home in Vancouver's Killarney neighborhood. Paramedics originally responding to a medical call, but when they arrived, they found a 70-year-old uh, man with chest pains, but also a high level of carbon monoxide in the home. The man was taken to Vancouver General Hospital, Two children, believed to be four and seven, were taken to BC Children's Hospital. Fortis uh, on scene uh, determined that the uh, uh, cause of the CO was from a, an appliance that wasn't uh, functioning properly. It's not clear whether the home had a CO alarm, but crews say they did not hear one when they entered the home. A Port Coquitlam man is on a long road to recovery after a freak accident left him paralyzed. Once an avid athlete, his life changed during the December windstorm when a tree came crashing down on his vehicle. John Waugh has more on his emotional roller coaster and the outpouring of support he never expected. It became one of the most devastating windstorms in BC history, knocking out power to hundreds of thousands of people. Alex Higdon remembers driving for work in Pitt Meadows, then suddenly, total darkness. Driving down Duden Chunk Road and then uh, I just blacked out. The 20-year-old's truck had been struck by a falling tree, sending the unconscious driver straight into a ditch. The next thing Higdon remembers 
waking up to a sound he couldn't stop. The engine kept going and going, and then uh, I was just realizing my foot was not... I could not pick my foot up off the gas. The trauma so severe, doctors had to remove his C6 vertebrae to repair it. His spinal cord not severed, but badly damaged. They had him all hyped up on, on medication, and he was... Uh, he couldn't feel anything from the neck down. Looking at what's left of the vehicle, Todd Higdon says is proof that his son is a fighter. He's been, he's been amazing. He's so strong and so positive. He's kept me positive throughout the whole, the whole fight. I'm gonna fizz you today. There has been some improvement. Since the accident, Higdon has regained movement in his arms. And wrists are coming back to fingers are next and then torso and legs. That's, that's how I'm looking at it. A GoFundMe page has been set up to help him through his physical rehabilitation. The avid athlete even contacted by members of the Humboldt Broncos, who know exactly what he's going through. It's going to be a long road, I know that, but I've been through the worst, so time to, time to get back on my feet. Strength and courage from a young man who refuses to be beaten, despite being shown how devastating Mother Nature can be. John Hua, Global News. Work is underway to improve North America's worst bus stop right here on the Lower Mainland. The stop at Old Dubney Trunk Road and Lowheed Highway near the Pitt River Bridge was voted the worst over the summer as part of a contest held by a U.S.-based transit blog. It qualified for the dubious honor because the bus stop pole sits atop a barrier. The transit riders wait behind and then have to climb over when the bus arrives. Today, work began to improve the safety of the site. It's a little bit dangerous. It's always um, you're worried about traffic, and also when it rains, it's a mud pit around where you're supposed to press the button to cross the street. We're widening it so people can stand back on the other side, and you're opening it up so when the bus comes, they can just come right out. Crews took out eight pieces of guardrail in total and paved an area for passengers to safely wait for the bus on. The field of candidates in the Burnaby South by-election has narrowed. Federal liberal candidate Karen Wang pulling out of the race over racial comments she posted on social media about NDP leader and candidate Jugmeet Singh. Robin Gill has more on what was said and why it may have been an example of something called micro-targeting that backfired. What's it like? Jugmeet Singh was back at it today, trying to win votes he desperately needs to win Burnaby South. And the NDP leader received a gift. His main competition has dropped out. Politics that divides people along racial lines is not the type of politics we need in our country. With life getting more expensive these days. Liberal Karen Wang quit because of comments she made on WeChat, a Chinese social media app. She tried to appeal to voters saying she was the only Chinese candidate and described Singh as of Indian descent. At her Burnaby campaign office, no answer. In a statement, she says, my choice of words wasn't well considered and didn't reflect my intent. And for that, I sincerely apologize to Mr. Singh. She was so blatant in how she was targeting the Chinese community. All political parties micro-target, and there's no doubt they take ethnic groups into account. I definitely chalk it up a lot more to this being a very inexperienced candidate uh, with an inexperienced team and who, uh, who took a gamble with this. According to the 2016 census, 112,000 people live in this riding and 76,000 identify as visible minorities. Of that, 39% are of Chinese descent, while only 8.4% are of South Asian descent. And that may have played a factor in Wang's strategy. 
This sociologist says from the start, Wang capitalized on Singh being an outsider, given he's from Ontario. If this wasn't uh, caught by uh, the mainstream, this might have uh, actually continued. But it gives Singh a leg up. To be honest with you, I did not expect uh, race to be a concern. It's still not clear if the Liberals have another candidate ready in time. Robin Gill, Global News. A spectacular stunt to christen the newly repaired White Rock Bridge is being proposed. The span, damaged during the windstorm, is expected to be fixed later this summer. And in an effort to draw big crowds and help the struggling strip, some believe a death-defying motorcycle stunt should be part of the festivities. Aaron MacArthur explains how it would work. Things not quite the same in White Rock after the historic pier was damaged in December's windstorm. And people are thinking about ways to celebrate after it's repaired this summer. Promoter Brooke Colby has an idea. Not exactly in line with the perception of this sleepy seaside town. When this happened, I thought, man, that'd be awesome to jump that pier. Think back to when Evil Knievel jumped the fountain at Caesar's Palace. It certainly brings out the crowds. They're going crazy! The plan in White Rock was first hatched in the days after the pier was cut in two. Colby fired out the original idea of jumping the gap. That's been backed down a little bit, maybe to jump over the pier, or beside the pier, or the length of the gap. The details, still sketchy, but he did make a presentation to city council on Monday. But it's all about just making money for the beach, it's all sponsored. The idea is one of many being brought forward to council. It's not being dismissed out of hand but it does have a few hurdles to get over first. We are kind of fourth or fifth down on, on the, the line or the list of people that need to be talked to. They would have to go through federal ministries, they'd have to go through provincial ministries, and they'd have to also deal with the Semiamu First Nations. People on the promenade filled with a healthy amount of skepticism. I think it's kind of dumb, but whatever. <laughs> he wants his 15 minutes of fame, I guess. I think it's a good way to get people out. Yeah, they're definitely going to need that. Colby, convinced this will happen. The sale begins when the customer says no. If a motorcycle jump is not in the cards, maybe someone can dust off the Fonz's leather jacket. There he goes! There is always room to jump the shark. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A man who works for a Vancouver-based mining company has been identified as the latest Canadian to be kidnapped in the West African nation of Burkina Faso. Halifax native Kirk Woodman is an employee of Progress Mineral Mining. He was abducted in an overnight raid on a mining site near the country's northeastern border with Niger. The family issued a statement saying, quote, we have faith and trust in Canadian authorities to bring our husband and father home safe. First Nations leaders gathering in Calgary today to discuss financial models to potentially allow them to take ownership of the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. While the project was halted in part due to a court ruling citing insufficient consultation with First Nations, Keith Baldry explains how supporters believe common ground can be found among the country's indigenous communities. What's important is that we find a balance you know, between the environmental concerns and economic development. What could be a critical and defining move in pipeline politics began to take shape today as more than 300 indigenous leaders met to debate whether or not to purchase the Trans Mountain Pipeline from the federal government. It's an opportunity to help get out of poverty, to, to find ways to uh, attack those social issues, housing issues, water issues. 
The possibility that the Indian Resource Council of Canada buys and operates the pipeline comes as more evidence emerges that Canadians want to see pipelines built and not stalled. An Angus Reid poll out today shows that 58% of Canadians feel we have a pipeline crisis. 53% support the Trans Mountain and Energy East pipelines. And 65% rank oil and gas as Canada's most critical industry. Some think if First Nations own the pipeline, the chances of expanding it vastly improve. One of the things that you know, is a benefit if it can work out is to demonstrate the alignment of many Indigenous communities with resource development. And I think that's one of the angles that the Indian Resource Council is coming from. There are many First Nations who have oil and gas resources on their land and they want to see pipelines developed so they can get full value for their resources as well. There's an opportunity here uh, for uh, different groups to, who are interested. Plus, uh, you know, if we're serious about reconciliation, this is a move. The federal government paid $4.5 billion for the pipeline earlier this year. How much a First Nations consortium would pay for it is not yet clear. Keith Baldry, Global News. A big step today toward more affordable housing in Coquitlam. The city has signed an agreement with Habitat for Humanity to build up to 50 units on city land in the 1300 block of Coast Meridian Road. Therefore, low to moderate income households earning between thirty-five dollars to $55,000 a year. And those families will be required to volunteer 500 hours of sweat equity to help build the homes. We're going to be reaching out to finding families to live in these houses, but we're also going to be reaching out to the community, to the businesses, uh, right down to the city workers, the fire department, RCMP, uh, giving everybody an opportunity to come and help us build these. As part of the agreement, the city of Coquitlam will provide the land in an 80-year lease, as well as other amenities. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. The question is that this house has no confidence in Her Majesty's government. As many as are of that opinion say aye. aye. Of the contrary, no. That is British House Speaker John Burko announcing today that Prime Minister Theresa May survived her no-confidence vote in Parliament over her government's failed Brexit deal. NBC's Bill Neely now with more on what happens next with Britain's expected divorce from the European Union. British Prime Minister Theresa May lives to fight another day, though every day for her seems to be a bad day. She won a vote of no confidence in the British Parliament tonight by 325 votes to 306. So the no's have it, the no's have it. So she stays on as Prime Minister. If she'd lost that vote, she would have been on a fast track out of power and out of Downing Street. But her authority is diminishing. She won really only because of the support of a minority Northern Ireland party, the Democratic Unionist Party. But straight after that vote, she said she wanted to talk to the leaders of the British opposition parties about how Britain would exit the European Union with a deal. I stand ready to work with any member of this House to deliver on Brexit and ensure that this House retains the confidence of the British people. Theresa May is trying 
to seize the initiative once again. But she has to come up with some kind of new plan, not a deal, but a plan by next Monday. Then she will go to Europe and talk to European leaders. They are suggesting that the deadline, March the 29th, when Britain will leave the European Union, could be extended in order to accommodate more talks. But the way ahead really is unclear. But tonight, Theresa May is still Britain's Prime Minister. Bill Neely, NBC News, Westminster. Also overseas, four Americans have been killed today in a suicide attack in Syria. This on the same day that U.S. Vice President Mike Pence declared that ISIS had been defeated. And before we go any further, a warning. Some of these images are quite graphic. According to witnesses, an American patrol was on foot in front of a restaurant and several soldiers were inside when a man in civilian clothing rushed up to the door and exploded his suicide vest, which was hidden underneath his clothing. ISIS has claimed responsibility. The attack happened just as the U.S. is preparing to withdraw troops from Syria. An eerie sight across parts of Egypt today. A sandstorm turned the skies a dull orange. Egyptians were urged to stay indoors, and a number of flights were delayed. Several parks forced to close. Drivers were encouraged to avoid high speed during the storm because of the low visibility. And strong winds and high waves also forced the closure of a number of Egyptian ports today. Starting today, YouTube is banning videos that encourage risky activities that could result in physical harm. The decision follows the popularity of the Bird Box Challenge, the Tide Pod Challenge, and other risky stunts. The policy change comes the same month a teenager in Utah crashed her car while blindfolded, a stunt inspired by the Netflix film Bird Box. YouTube says it needs to make sure what's funny doesn't cross the line, but experts say it may be difficult to determine exactly where that line is. The Duchess of Sussex, Meghan Markle, was able to laugh off a rather unusual comment about her pregnancy. And you're a fat lady. <laughs> An innocent remark about her visible baby bump, but clearly the Duchess has a good sense of humor. Markle paying a visit to one of her four new patronages, an animal welfare organization that uses public donations to improve the lives of animals and people locally and internationally. The Duchess is expecting her first child with husband Prince Harry this spring. In Health Matters tonight, it sounds a bit like science fiction, but a researcher at UBC has found a way to grow human blood vessels in the lab. It's something that's never been possible before. And as Linda Aylesworth reports, the breakthrough could be a new weapon in the fight against diseases such as dementia, diabetes, and even cancer. Scientists have figured out how to turn stem cells into almost any kind of human tissue. But one of the most critical human tissues, blood vessels, nobody had been ever able to actually create out of human stem cells perfectly shaped human blood vessels. But Dr. Joseph Penninger did. With a skilled team of researchers, his quest began years ago in Vienna. Now he's been recruited by the University of British Columbia to continue his groundbreaking research. Blood vessels are everywhere. They, they nurture every tissue we have. Uh, you know, they're involved in Alzheimer's disease, they're involved in cancer, they're involved in diabetes. Being able to create human blood cells in a lab using stem cells from skin will allow scientists to better understand the connection between the circulatory system and diseases like diabetes. 
it already has. We came up actually with a molecular mechanism how this milieu of high sugar, of high glucose actually affects the blood vessels and we can totally prevent this from happening. Diabetes damages blood vessels and is responsible for up to 70% of complications, even death, in people who have the disease. We cannot revert it if it has happened, so there's still a lot of work to be done. But now we can do it with the models and we can hopefully find totally new drugs for diabetes. The technology may also be used to find ways to starve cancerous tumors by stopping the rapid growth of blood vessels that nourish them, or transplant vessels into non-healing wounds that are deprived of blood. The possibilities are endless. So I want to build one of the most amazing research centers on the planet. And there are not many places where this is doable. And I think that's here one of the places. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. An Okanagan boat builder is jumping on the green bandwagon with a pleasure craft that doesn't need gas. The company says it's built its first prototype of an electric boat, and sales so far are soaring, in part because it's now cool to go electric. Electric cars have been in the Okanagan for years, and now electric boats are making a splash in the valley. Kelowna businessman Mark Fry is leading the charge in the electric boat industry. We decided to buy an electric boat for ourselves here in the Okanagan. But Fry wanted a bigger, faster electric boat. So he had one built. This is the first, yeah. It's a prototype. It's 29 feet long and can carry up to 15 passengers, but the best part is the noise. The lack of it. And they're cheap to run. It's 10 to 15 cents an hour to recharge it overnight. Uh, it's, you're not putting in $200 worth of fuel. This was an opportunity to get into that market before anybody else. Okanagan companies have tried to break into the electric boat market and failed, but Fry says those companies failed because the timing wasn't right. Ten years ago, it wasn't cool to have an electric car. Now it's cool. Now the reverse has happened. And we're seeing the same thing in the boating industry. But boats, electric or conventional, are not cheap. It's going to cost between, you know, around 130 to 140,000. Price is a gas-powered boat the same size would cost considerably more. If you compare it to a motorboat of the same uh, size, you're looking at, you know, around $200,000. And business is taking off. Fry says he has dozens of pending orders, including interest from other countries where waterways could one day be a buzz with electric boats made in the Okanagan. Kelly Hayes, Global News, Kelowna. Pretty cool. And how about this? Nike's new shoe. What makes it smart after Christie's forecast? It's a cinch to be a big seller. <laughs> Tell you why a little bit later. Okay, uh, another strange meteorological phenomenon to learn about from Christie tonight. Yeah, found twice this morning on Vancouver Island. This is a rare cold weather phenomenon that's called hair ice. And what happens is when you get dead wood and there's moisture inside the wood uh, and it has to have a specific fungus. And when the temperature drops just below freezing, that moisture uh, gets pushed out of the log. And with that fungus, forces it in more of a hair-like fashion as it freezes instead of freezing like a normal icicle or ice wood. But incredible. Looks soft to the touch, but it's not. It's brittle, just like you would imagine ice in a very thin, thin ice uh, formation. Great shot. Thanks to Marjorie for that one. And here's the other one from Nanaimo. Thank you to Jeff for that one. 
Very cool. Uh, yeah, so we re we've had some really neat uh, ice formations uh, in the past week, and it's all because of the cold air that's entrenched right across the province. That's about to change, though, everyone. Tonight, temperatures drop down to just about 3 degrees because the cloud is starting to push in. Still a spectacular day right across the province. Check out the shot from Manning Park. The mountains have been phenomenal still with that sunshine higher up. But, yes, cloud will take over overnight tonight. We'll start to see the rainfall across the south coast while while we're sleeping, touching into the southern parts of uh, uh, southern BC with snow in the early morning hours. But two to four centimeters of snow expected for those of you across southern BC. Coastal regions we're talking about just rain, although we will see snow higher up in the mountains, which is great news. And yes, it will be on and off wet over the next three days. So northern regions not seeing it just yet, except touching into Quinell. But that snowfall across the south, again, not a lot. Two to four centimeters for the south coast it means rain and likely tomorrow morning it will be just showers it will push into more periods of rain towards the end of the day tomorrow and yes for the next three days we'll see that whereas sunday i think we'll start to see some breaks of blue sky and i'll leave you chris with another shot of the spectacular sunshine we saw today thanks to jane for that one nice shot from jane dittrick i know jane oh beautiful beautiful picture okay thanks christy well, it's a step in the right direction for wearable tech. Nike unveiling its new self-lacing basketball shoes. Global's Tom Hayes explains how they work and how much a pair will set you back. First inspired by Marty McFly, the future for your feet is now. I'm going to show you something that can soon become obsolete, part of the history books, tying up the laces on your shoes, because now there's an app for that. And we can thank Nike for the shoe that goes with that app, the Nike Adapt BB, the first ever self-lacing basketball sneaker. Everybody, it's Sean here, and I am back today to give you guys a review of the size collaboration with Nike. On the Sean Go is a YouTube shoe expert, and he can't wait. Innovation is huge for Nike, right? Obviously trying to push the boundaries of what sneakers can be. And one of the most obvious um, pain points that a lot of us have is tying our laces. The Back to the Future shoes were a bit of a stunt, but the new Nikes have an automatic lacing system inside that runs from a battery-controlled phone app, giving us way more free time in our lives. How long would it take you to lace up your shoe? I do the double loop, the rabbit ears, so 10 seconds. You don't save you time in a day? Like, like 10 whole seconds. Right? You know, sometimes you, know, you keep your back all right, you have to bend down and tie it, so... Why not? So it's a health and safety thing. Exactly. It'll save a lot of people from falling on their faces too. I think for a lot of sneaker enthusiasts. Um, so there are sneaker enthusiasts? Oh, there's tons of sneakers, especially in Toronto. There's a huge <laughs> growing population of them. And um, one of the major draws uh, for myself personally is um, innovation. Might be a tougher sell to the non-sneaker enthusiast generation who may not understand $460 Canadian a pair, laces not included. Well, a little bit too much. A little bit too much? Yes, yeah. yeah. Sean is betting demand will be huge when the Nike Adapt BB is officially released next month. He highly recommends the upgrade. Wondering, what do you think of my shoes like right now? I think you could use some tips. <laughs> Tom Hayes, Global News. I don't know. I think something like that small and the sole of a basketball shoe is going to get damaged pretty quick, but... But here is my question, and it's one of those great mysteries in life. Why is it that you could be walking around, you don't step on your laces, and they untie themselves? <laughs> the knee watch continues. 
for the guy who plays for the Canucks well, whose name you can say? He's Elias yeah. Peterson, or you can go Peterson. That's the beauty of this. You can go either way, and he's quite <laughs> happy wrong. with either. Yeah. Anyway, Elias. Uh, he won't play, as you heard him say before the commercial break, quite emphatically against Edmonton tonight, even though he was at practice this morning. But game day skates are light skates, and the Canucks would like him to have a full hard practice and then the next morning see how the knee really feels. This, of course, is Pedersen's second injury this season. The first was that concussion, courtesy of Mike Matheson. But he says because the injuries are so different, rehabbing is not the same. Every injury is different and uh, of course both injuries has been has been like it sucks to have but it's just a part of the hockey career. I've been injured a lot. Oh, oh that sounds bad but I've been injured <laughs> I've been I've been injured before and got back so I'm not worried, it's just a part of hockey. Now, we mentioned yesterday how Jake Furtanen has gone nine games without a point. Another Canuck who's in a bit of a rut scoring-wise is Bo Horvat. He has not scored a goal in the last nine games. But maybe it's because Horvat is a bit burnt out right now. When the Canucks were suffering with multiple injuries amongst their forwards, Horvat was doing all the heavy lifting. He still leads the NHL in face-offs taken. That was because all those injured players forced him to be on the ice more than usual. He is still averaging almost 21 minutes per game, which coaches ideally don't like for forwards. They don't mind top defensemen getting over 20 minutes a game, but not as much with their forwards. Uh, we went through a tough spot tough spot there with Beagle and Sutter out, and Bo was playing some heavy minutes. But I think uh, you know, the more depth you have, the, the sweet spot is probably you know, 20, once you get over 20 for a forward, is, you're creeping up there. But it, uh, you know there are some guys that are exceptional skaters as well. Uh, you look at Connor McDavid; he's he plays a lot of minutes, but doesn't seem to slow down for many of them. He's but he's probably the best skater in the league too. So that probably really helps him uh, be able to play those kind of minutes. Want to see some skating from last night? Watch Rocco Grimaldi. He's got the puck, and he makes a move, spin, and the backhand. Nice. Deserves a couple of more looks. Uh, the backhand, still the toughest shot in hockey for a goalie to decipher. You never know when it's going to go or where it's going to go. That one's along the ice. That was a nice goal by Grimald. Well, if the Canucks don't make the playoffs this season, and they are once again a draft lottery team, and if they don't get first pick overall, because if they were a draft lottery team and they did get first pick overall, I think they would take Quinn Hughes' brother, Jack. But if they aren't number one, they would be quite happy to get Vancouver Giants defenseman Bowen Byram. He will be eligible for this year's draft, which of course is at Rogers Arena. And the Canucks could always use another defenseman in their prospect pool. And this kid has the look of a top-pairing NHL defenseman. This one go up high, rebound, loose, they score! There's a new leader at the top of the WHL goal-scoring lead for defensemen. Yup, his name is Bowen Byram. Bowen Byram is out to make a point. And it's one that anyone who watched the World Juniors can clearly see. The 17-year-old defenseman at the very least deserved an invite to Team Canada's training camp. This past weekend, Byram set a Giants franchise record with a five-point performance and this week became just the second defenseman to be named CHL Player of the Week. Obviously, I didn't get invited, but it's, it's not the end of the world. I'm 17, I'm still young, so 
Um, I'm not too worried about it, but but yeah, it puts a little bit of chip on my shoulder. I want to perform and uh, prove myself, yeah. His birth certificate may read 17 years old, but it's here on the ice where Byram is really coming of age. Talk to the many scouts who've extensively watched him, and they'll tell you that he plays more like mature 19 or 20-year-old dub veteran. It's also why he continues to project as a guaranteed top 10 NHL draft pick and quite possibly the first North American defenseman to be selected in the 2019 draft. You know, he's a 200-foot player as a defenseman. Not only is he very good in his own zone and, and through the neutral zone, but right now he's showing everybody blue line in. Uh, he's able to make plays and scored three big goals for us. Byram slots in as a potential top four at the NHL level. His potential is that high. He's the kind of defenseman the Canucks would love to take. Whoever does end up selecting the talented D-man is getting a player who could very well be suiting up in the National Hockey League next season. He's ready. Uh, mentally, he's ready. He wants to be a pro. Um, he has a pro mentality already. He does everything very well. He does extra. Um, he, he really is uh, like he's playing pro right now. Um, great kid. Uh, really does everything well, so it wouldn't be shocking. Yonka Andreescu. Surprising everybody in the tennis world this month, taking on Anastasia Sevastova, 13th seed, second round, Australian Open. That's a nice point. Andreescu did lose the first set, 6-3. Now to the second set. 4-3, she's up now. And she breaks Sevastova to go up 5-3. And she would win the second set, 6-3, with shots like this. Third set. And Andreescu looks like she's starting to tire a bit. Too good. You can see it. This is her 12th match this month. 4-2 now, Sevastova. A couple of rackets <laughs> destroyed. Not that badly, but can't continue with that. Equipment, this is it. In a heck of a January, but this year is a learning year for Andreescu. This is classroom time. Wait till 2020. She'll show you something. She loses in three sets. Good run. There you go. And fun to watch. Yeah, she gave it a go, but you could just see in the third set, it was like the gas had run out yeah. by that point. Yeah, or so. the electricity had run down, depending on what kind of yeah. car you're driving. <laughs> That's right. Here's your snow report for today. Once again, no new snow across BC mountains thanks to that sunshine and ridge of high pressure. But it is about to break down. Snow is on the way, everyone. Whistler, Blackcomb, Grouse, Cypress, and Sasquatch, no new snow, but good healthy bases for this time of year. Revelstoke, Fernie, Manning Park, and Whitewater, also no new snow, but Revelstoke has a good base at 203. Big White and Sun Peaks, no new snow. Silver Star did pick up one. And Kicking Horse, Mount Washington, and Powder King, also no new snow but Powder King, a nice base at 230. Coming up on ET Canada, it is the diet craze that's dividing Hollywood. And Jillian Michaels is speaking out. Plus, we preview Chantal Kravietzik and Rain Maida's revealing new documentary, which is Everybody Talking. That's coming up at 7 right after the news. However, for now, it's back to you, Chris. Awesome. Thank you, Cheryl. Well, a site that looks out of this world is drawing crowds to a small town in Maine along the U.S. East Coast. A massive disk of ice spinning in the middle of a river, and residents say they've never seen anything like it. This is a, quite a phenomenon. It's 300 feet wide, completely frozen, and drawing in onlookers from all across Cumberland County. And I wanted to 
see it for myself and take a few pictures. A nearly perfect disk of ice is floating in the middle of the Presumpscot River in Westbrook. Locals say it's an impressive sight. It's just it's interesting because it's not something that people see every day. It's not normal to see a giant spinning disk in the river. Nice to see it as the seagulls are having a nice ride and some of the ducks too. Westbrook City officials say the disk formed from the churning water current created by the waterfall just 100 feet north of the disk. It's causing it to slowly spin counterclockwise. He's in Cape Town and he asked me if I was going to take the kids to see the spinning ice disk in Westbrook and I said, what is that? Locals and Westbrook City officials say the disk of ice is a welcome sight to see along the river. The city says it will probably stick around for a few days until the weather causes it to melt or the river freezes up. I couldn't believe that everybody was so attracted to it. And I tried to look up a little bit of it, and I don't think it's that often that it occurs. And it's just, it's quite something to watch. In Westbrook. It's just a real treat because it's unique. Taylor Gleason, CBS 13 News. The Presumpscot River. So intriguing how it's a perfect circle, or almost. And how Mm. cool that, what a great view from the drone. It was yeah. up there to shoot it too. It actually kind of looks like a like a globe. Uh, okay, let's do uh, last look at weather before we go. Sure. So we're in for a change, everyone. Put away the sunglasses, pull out the umbrellas. Overnight, the rain will push in. Now, we will be on and off, and it looks like tomorrow morning the rain will be lighter. It will be heavier towards the end of the day, I think, likely during your commute home. Temperature is not bad, mild for this time of year, and then we're hoping for that sunshine towards the end of the weekend. Earlier this week, Jason Momoa, the Aquaman uh, superstar, noticed a beautiful sunrise. And tonight, we've got a time lapse of a sunset. We'll see what Jason says about it if he does see it. Hey, Jason, hope you're watching. <laughs>